0: Welcome to this 25th edition of Clarity Chat podcast. I have with me Asha Paulos-Johnson, VP and Global CIO of Data Analytics at G Healthcare. Today we will discuss solving problems with data at scale, data enabling the organization, and how user-centricity and horizontal approach led her vertical career graph. She has started with outcomes first and brought technology later. She built and self-paced a career with thoughtful motherhood breaks. Welcome Asha to Clarity Chat. Did you know that 83% of technology implementations fail to achieve expected business outcomes? Well, managing technology is incredibly complex. IT covers all processes and everything IT does impacts people in some way. The function is only three decades old but changing at the fastest pace. Technology industry is highly profitable with intense marketing. Tech companies have the vast majority of the tech talent, not you. Clarity Chat Purpose is rooted in helping you solve IT challenges for business success, to help you decode the complexity, to help you leverage partners effectively, to help you partner with business more effectively, to help you manage change better, to help you attract talent. You get this clarity via experiences of CIOs and business leaders, shared informally and candidly over a cup of tea. Welcome to the Clarity Chat Podcast. So tell us about, you know, your, from your childhood to uh, college and first job. What was your ambition earlier and how did it pan out in the early years uh, after your education?
1: Yeah, that's that was a long time back over Jagdish. So, Jagdish. Uh, see, I did my uh, engineering in civil engineering from NIT Calicut and then later on I went on to do my uh, masters. And, um, you know, I did my master's and I was very research oriented. You know, I, I at that time, I used to really like to solve difficult problems um, using technology. Uh, and I, when, when I was doing my master's, I was doing a bunch of stuff around mo- modeling, you know, both physical modeling using centrifuge. So centrifuge is a device that actually helps you simulate gravity and then trying to build mathematical models of it, which is a lot of application in how you how you model oil spills and you know, things like that. So I was really wanting to pursue a higher education, you know, a doctoral degree in the U.S. And, you know, I was kind of all set for that, you know, going through all the process. And I even had a couple of good scholar admissions. But anyway, life sometimes has different plans for you. Uh, anyway, after doing my master's, I joined TCS. Um, and I was really, you know, continue. It was a little bit of a continuation of what I was doing at college, but a lot more of coding, uh, we working for a telecom company at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really got my hands dirty. I, I spent almost first three to four years, uh, you know, working as a developer, um, uh, mostly C C plus plus those kind of languages. So, uh, it was, I think it was a good, uh, shift from, I mean, I, I hardly used any of the things I really learned in my. Engineering in <laughs> those four years, like many of us who joined the software industry, and and it used to be something that was a little bit worrisome for me. But yeah, uh, kind of that's how kind of I got started uh, Jagdish.
0: Okay, okay, okay. No, but I uh, I mean I liked what the term that you use, getting your hands dirty, and I think you've been you've been doing that consistently, and we'll see this uh, as we go forward. Yeah. So then you joined uh, uh, G Research, and you know you were solving turbine problems. Tell us about that. And what yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: No, I joined, I joined GE in 20, 2001 January and here I am still 21, almost 21 years later. It's been a fabulous ride, uh, I would say. So yeah, you know, GE was setting up a research center uh, in Bangalore at that time and they were doing a lot of hiring. So I had just moved to Bangalore at that time uh, and... Uh, we joined GE research in a group that was a mix of engineering, technology, and some level of product development. It was like an interdisciplinary group. Um, The problem that you know I and we were a few of us that we got assigned to solve was to actually digitize inspection forms. So if you see you know this was for the GE power business which actually manufactures uh, gas turbines, steam turbines right and then most of the money comes from servicing. And the shorter you can do the servicing the more revenue you make as a business so digitization was big you know at that point of time and we wanted to digitize all these forms there were only one problem there were thousands of forms imagining sitting and writing java jsp code trying to digitize which is what we were all hired for and they said you have 24 months you can digitize all these forms you know we had a back end which was a pdm solution called emetrics at that time and you know we were like okay this is a little crazy you know (laughs) to be a better way to do it uh, so we wagged our brains and we come up came up with an idea that hey we'll actually build a tool that helps the end users to digitize the forms themselves because they probably know how to do it best and uh, you know we will create all the intelligence to connect to the database auto create the fields the form fields and you know create all the schema and everything that goes behind the database um, so we went ahead with this idea. We had good support from the business. Uh, you know, people thought, okay, you're going to take seven months to build this. And if it doesn't work, you've lost, you know, seven months of the 24 months. You have been trying to digitize it. But we were able to find some good sponsorship. And we built that product. It was called Forms Wizard. It was a huge technical success, I would say. Uh, we, it, we have a patent uh, for it at that time. You can think about it like a very old version of self-service BI, like Tableau or something like that. You know, that's that's kind of what the idea was. Um, I think the more interesting part and the learning came from that whole effort is when we went to have our end users use our product. So you know, I went to Atlanta where Power is headquartered at the time, and uh, we realized that most of our end users were not at all computer savvy. You know, the repair service engineers who are kind of doing the repair and all of that, and our product was too highly engineered and complex for them to use. Uh, so we had to spend three months of training, you know, starting from teaching people how to click and double click, you know, when we are thinking of all these automation and this highly engineered solutions. And eventually we were able to make it work. But I think for me as personally, that was a huge learning that, you know, you really need to know your business user and the amount of technology that they can consume you know, before you actually start building all these great products. So it was, I think, a heavy technology success, but I think it's an average success from a business user standpoint initially. And, then, you know, obviously we, uh, you know, we had a lot of tailwind from the whole digitization effort was happening. It was happening everywhere. So we leaned into it and then we were able to make it successful. So it was a very interesting first role um, in GE. It always taught me that, you know, hey, you can actually tell, ask and tell, propose something rather than being, just being do what you're being told to, you know, which is a very, very good thing. And one of the reasons that, uh, you know, uh, we've been able to be a lot, seen a lot of success. So that was kind of the, um, I would say the first <laughs> job here, at Jagdish at the learnings oh, uh,
0: So Asha, let's go next, uh, you know, uh, your global operations role. And I think some of your learnings that you shared with me about, you know, driving outcomes uh, using technology. I think that was an aviation role I'm correct, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I, I, re- I really uh, learned from my first role that, you know, I, I was lacking in a lot of business exposure, being deeply uh, embedded in research and technology. So I actually took a role at aviation Uh, which was really to offshore a lot of the work to India. You know the offshoring thing was big at the time Uh, and it was all nothing to do with the kind of technology I was working with. It was in mainframes and uh, you know a lot of really legacy applications even at that time. Okay Um, and uh, probably it was even difficult to find a lot of talent and all of that and my role was really to build a team here that could run all of these operations. Now, first I talked about how, you know, the forms wizard was really about servicing for the power industry, you know, gas, steam turbine. Uh, the second was really about the turbine, uh, the repair of aviation engine. So when an engine comes to uh, what we call as an overall shock, which is where the whole engine gets disassembled and then we repair it and we service it and then we put it back and we send it back to the customer. That whole process, there were a series of applications, right, to do how do you look at the bill of materials, how do you look at the financial aspect of it, how do you look at the commercial aspect of it, how do you look at the, um, you know, even all the process checks, highly, highly controlled industry, right, so how all the process checks are done, all of that, so we had a bunch of applications and, um, you know, I had a fabulous team and I think that was my first people management experience you know where I had a large team I had to build a team you know the the hiring and you know uh, and and because in my first job it was all focused on technology and actually development not really about people right so I learned a lot I also had the opportunity to visit a lot of the overall and uh, component repair shops for aviation uh, which were all across the world um, and really learn a lot about culture different business processes that go into it and How we actually make money, you know, by doing servicing, and how important the turnaround time of a service is. So. So those were some of the big learnings, you know. I mean, I think I, I really understood that if you you always have to keep the business first, and how does the business make revenue and build your solutions according to that? You know, it can be in Java, it can be in mainframe. Probably doesn't really matter that much. Uh, you know, it's really how how are you able to reach that outcome? In this case, how do you do the repair in the most shortest time? Now, if you can do it by automating a lot of things and you know, building connectors between all these applications you don't really need or you you can't wait for 10 years till you have a full-fledged ERP. Essentially, if you say in today's world, all of these things are done by an ERP system, right? You can't wait those 10 years before you start seeing benefits. So it's a very, very uh, interesting uh, role. And it's also the, you know, it's a little bit testimony to GE that it gives you opportunity to kind of move around uh, based on what your interests are and, you know, how do you kind of scale and build your career.
0: Yeah so um uh, no i think i think some awesome learnings uh, there asha and like i'm in mean, this this is also my philosophy that you know the it is all about processes so we have to look at you know how to uh, make these processes more efficient more effective because the business outcomes really come out of processes right and uh, and and everyone in the organization is looking up it and technology for- functions to actually uh, get them to go faster. But just a quick follow-up question there, Asha. You know, you travel to all these global sites to learn the processes and learn like, you know, how you're going to make a difference to them. Uh, Was it all, uh, you know, yourself, your own initiative? Or like, did somebody tell you to tell you that, Hey, Asha, go visit this place, go go visit that place.
1: I I think it was a mix. You know, the role in itself provided the opportunity to visit travel and learn because you had to offshore work so you had to kind of do that and you know obviously not everybody loved me i can tell you with that role um but i think i really use that opportunity to learn about different cultures and different business processes like we had a shop in wales one in caledonia one in brazil one in singapore you know i mean it was such a different but it was interesting how the processes were very similar you know how everything would work similarly through so i just realized that it has such a such a role to bring and unify people right through processes and technology so it was uh, yeah it was a mix but i think it was more my push in learning I, I think the real reason I was ha- I had the opportunity was really to bring bring work into India. I just just used that as a learning opportunity because I was generally I'm a very curious person, so it helps.
0: Okay, no, that that's interesting. So being curious and yeah, focusing on your objective. So Asha, I think I think now comes an interesting uh, break in your careers. So tell us about your Six Sigma role and getting out of IT altogether
1: yeah yeah so you know i i think i don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing i can only do one role for so long you know and i want to do something else um so so at that time six sigma was very big in GE. um you know lean and six sigma and i also felt that even though i sit in india i hardly knew anything about what the company GE is doing in india right so i had an interest in that it was at the same time the GE was really trying to grow from almost less than a billion to a three billion company over a period of time. And there were a lot of initiatives that were getting, you know, we were really going after the big public companies, right? Air India, Indian Airlines, because that's kind of the products that we had. No? We had aircraft engines, we had transportation, locomotives and uh, things like that. Um, so I, you know, it, it took me a year of asking around, you know, and after many people telling me no and no and no, you are an IT person and all that that comes with it, I eventually got an opportunity to a black to be a black belt where it, my role was really to look at it was an initiative called at the customer for the customer by really helping them uh, use Six Sigma to improve their, pro, their uh, kind of, uh, you know, operations, you know, I'll tell you one very interesting problem I was trying to solve, I don't think it ever got solved in India was to reduce the departure delay of Air India. Okay, so we were a team of folks, you know, we were measuring tag times in the Mumbai airport, looking at how they do baggage handling, you know, how the passengers, we had tag, tags on the passengers to measure that and all that. And we did come up with a few ideas, I think it helped. But yeah, so those were the kind of problems, you know, it hardly had anything to do with technology. But with that, we were able to really influence and bring a lot of our products visible to these big customers. Right. Like Air India. And 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 if you see after that, G really did well uh, with obviously a lot of efforts from everybody. I'm sure there were many other people doing similar things as to what I was doing uh, to really grow. And, uh, you know, to where G, I think it's a three billion market uh, today uh, for the company. So that was a really, really exciting uh, role, very different uh, from the first and the second thing that I did. It really taught me about, you know, how does the Indian market operate? Uh, and you know the very price sensitive, cost sensitive, highly demanding uh, market. You know, so so when you have to try to build a business here, it's not like what you do in many other locations.
0: Okay, that's that's awesome. So you know, you did uh, IT roles, and then you have done like you know a complete business. I, I would say, process related uh, role more, and and uh, getting in front of the customers, working with them. Now there's a question which has come which is very relevant at this point. It is process or security. What takes priority in a, especially in a volatile risk environment.
1: I think security is a part of the process, you know, in most scenarios, like, you know, Reese now I work in the healthcare industry. So let me just talk about the healthcare industry, right? Like for example, when I'm dealing with data in the healthcare industry, which is what I do for a living these days, right? We have to make sure that we are complying to all the regional laws, Like, for example, there is GDPR in uh, Europe, you know, there is HIPAA in America. So these are these are really compliance and security related legal stuff that we have to follow, which is part of the process. So it's not like, you know, you can do either security or process. I mean, I think security has to be part of the process. Now, what is must do versus what is nice to do? versus probably, you know, something else, you can always classify that. And depending on the risk, ability and appetite of your business, uh, you know, and and what is the ROI you lose if you do more security or something like that, you can always make that call. But fundamental must to do security has to be part of any process. I mean, you will not even stand in the mark as an organization. Absolutely. Oh,
0: that's like, that's like, that's like a hardcore process person talking. I think, I think, you know, as IT, Many a times, or as technology people, many a times we tend to make that distinction that security is the IT part of it and process the business part of it. No, it's all actually the business process and everything has to come together. Awesome. That was a bit of a bouncer of a question. I was hesitating to bring it up, but so well said Asha. So Asha, there is uh, another uh, you know, uh, question here, which again, you know, as we look at your transition uh, when you look at the CIOs, you know, that you worked with in your earlier days and, you know, now as you provide the leadership, uh, I think with, with that in the background, has the role of CIO changed in the last 10 years uh, more or uh, more so in the last two?
1: Absolutely. I think the answer is absolutely yes. And I will tell you, you know, I'll be brief. I'll tell you two, three things that has changed. Right? I think IT itself used to be a cost function, I think it's now an equal parts cost function and a growth function. No business can really grow these days without thinking about IT as a growth function. Second thing is, everybody is trying to do digital transformation, right, and really leap into the digital era. And I think IT is the one really driving that in most scenarios. So your role becomes more of a strategic player than keeping on running all your systems and making sure you are getting some productivity benefits year over year. And I think the third thing is, right, most of the CIOs now have not just a role which is internal, but also external, right? Like, for example, I manage data analytics for health. I I deal with data, not just for our internal customers, but also for our customers in trying to see how do we really use the equipment data that comes from their machines to help them to have better uptime, better reliability, better performance. So I think it's absolutely changed. I do think maybe some of the CIOs were doing this even 10 years ago. So I would not say that, you know, then nobody was doing it. But I think a lot of people, a lot more people are doing it now. And it's just the expectation in many cases, CIOs are also part of the board, you know, uh, which I don't think was a scenario some time ago. So yeah, it has absolutely changed. I think a big factor on this is the CIO himself or herself, you know, how do they play their role, because everything is kind of gray these days. And two it's like the appetite, the risk appetite, the growth appetite, the, the organization has, right? So these are the factors that come into play. But yeah, it has absolutely changed over the years.
0: Yeah. Just to just to put a little bit of my perspective into this, Asha. I think earlier, you know, uh, what you what you said that there were people who were doing it earlier, you know, you could see actually this happening more in B2C industries, right? Where, you know, IT would uh, touch the customer and, you know, your, your processes would touch the customer. But I think today, whether it is B2C or B2B, b 2 c or even B2B2B2C you know I think all industries the whole uh, uh, anxiety to uh, you know do digital transformation is changing the CIO role and I think you actually indirectly mentioned it but let me let me rub it in okay I think as technology professionals and CIOs we have to change some of our habits you know we have to start looking at ourselves not as a cost function but also as a revenue function that means the discussion that we need to have with business leaders should be And uh, without really much of a hesitation, because sometimes outcomes can be much bigger than the cost involved. I mean, there was one since since you are an analytics leader, you know, uh, I want to narrate one uh, instance where we were we were trying to, you know, set up this whole new data warehouse and, uh, you know, analytics, uh, new age analytics stuff long back, about eight years back. And uh, there was an investment of 20 crores. The team came up with the ROI of like 25 crores in a year. I said, come on! Like for a company of this, uh, you know, uh, size, if it can't even make a one percent difference, I'm not going to be seeking investment into it. That one percent was about 500 crores. And actually, we ended up making that business case. And the next thing was that who will go and convince the business? I'm like, I will do it. I ask you guys to do it. And I actually went and met the business heads. And I also told them, I said, listen, if you don't believe this, please not, please don't invest in it. If analytics can't make a difference of 100 pros to our business, you know, which is worth 100 times bigger, then it's not worth doing. Actually, both of them signed off. So yeah, you have, to, you have to think big. It was actually very, very uncomfortable, you know, going to them with that kind of case. But yeah, you have to step out of those comfort zones. So there are those comfort zones, you know, playing in the background, being a cost center, not really going and meeting the, the customers and markets. I think we just need to outgrow that, but great
1: absolutely it really depends on the player and the play you know uh, on 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 how much this is possible but yeah i i do see a lot of people doing it very very well and that's the success that you see with many companies really digital uh, plays that they're making especially in b2b you know where you wouldn't see that right so
0: absolutely 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 yeah so um asha there's another question it's also a bit of a bouncer So let's see, how do you, how do you bet it like Tendulkar? Right analysis of available data is always an added advantage. How do you identify small data to big data for various analysis models?
1: You know, it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. You can, you can never start with data. You have to start with the problem that you're trying to solve. Now. There are problems that need big data to solve. There are problems that probably need more of enterprise data. Let me try to give you an example to make this real for you, right? Like, for example, uh, one of the things that you know my team is is really working on is to see how do you how do you make sure there is no disruption, you know, in a hospital when all these devices are working, especially in a situation like COVID. You don't want your X-ray to be not working or You know any of the other devices to be working now if you want to make sure that you know the x-ray is always going to be working you need to make sure that you are collecting all the data that is coming from the x-ray which we call as equipment data or machine data you know which is like streaming kind of data it is it is really big data and then you do a lot of analysis where you can predict when something is going to fail you know when you need to replace parts do all kinds of reliability modeling around So that is a problem where you need big data because without big data, you cannot figure out when that will happen. Another, another problem that we are dealing with or another thing that we are trying to do is to make sure that, you know, we are more effective in some of our customer experience or engagement, Models, right? In those scenarios, you're primarily using enterprise data or, you know, type of typical data where I'm seeing kind of solution. So I don't know if that is called small data, but then you don't need like the capabilities like machine learning and, you know, those kind of things where you need to be using large data sets at scale with high level of compute, especially on the cloud. So it really depends on the problem that you are trying to solve. It will dictate what data you need to use solve the problem that you're trying
0: to do I, I, I hope that helps oh no 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 absolutely absolutely and I want to add my sense to it sometimes you know uh, what you're calling as a small data it cannot be big data like for example uh, you know a third party study that comes out every year you know about consumer trends and all it can't come out faster <laughs> you know you will have to factor that into your models in a small way uh, so Asha uh, you know now I think I think I think this is where we see you moving into a cio role so tell us about you know your journey into the cio role and you know like what uh, what kind of difference you made to the business what kind of innovations you did uh, tell us about that
1: yeah yeah so i i kind of you know again this was a role that i kept telling people hey you know, I want to do a CIO role, but you know, my people said, hey, you don't have this skill and that skill and all. But anyway, I, I did uh, I actually did a role around analytics after I completed my black belt role and developed a lot of skills around that. Uh, so I, I went around knocking and then finally one <laughs> door opened. And I got an opportunity to be the CIO for the steam segment, you know, G had just acquired Alstrom uh, and they were, uh, they were really trying to integrate and see how can we do, uh, you know, do a lot more growth in the steam segment uh, for South Asia. I think that was the, one of the best roles I would say in my career. So the opportunity was, you know, we, we were, um, you know, India is a steam market, 80 to 90% of electricity in India, even today you know in spite of the renewable push and everything kind of gets generated using steam turbine technology i think it may have reduced but it'll probably be around 80% or so so we were sitting at a market where in you know which is a billion dollar market you know with this kind of an opportunity we did have solutions and products which can really help improve the efficiency of steam turbines and and many other factors which we could really sell to our customers the challenge that we had was our customer base is all these different different steam turbine locations. They're really scattered in rural villages, you know, it can take you three days by a road to get to one of these places. The interesting thing happened that time Jagdish was uh, there was a norm that was coming around emissions. Um, and, uh, you know, really, uh, we every every steel plant, basically steam plant had to start adhering to some of those emission norms. and. We knew that there were many of them who probably are going to have challenge. And we did have solutions that we could sell to them in managing this emission problem. But we didn't know just who they were right and how do you figure this out right nobody's going to tell you hey i am going to have an emission problem so how do you create these leads using technology it was a very interesting problem in india at the time right so what we actually did is we looked at the all these steam plants. we found their longitude and latitude you know actually uh, we, we figured out that there are some you know nasa has a data lake actually which has all the emission data in the world based on longitude and latitude and we used all of this data did some you know kind of matching and uh, some matching algorithms and stuff like that and we figured out you know who are the customers who have the highest propensity to buy our solutions based on their emission challenge uh, and that really helped us to nag, you know go from close to 800 to 50 or so plants whom we could really tap uh, and sell so this is a very interesting use case you know how we really think about problems bring in technology innovation creativity and really try to solve problems, which both helps your customers, in this case, citizens of India, as well as your business in finding and growing your revenue. So that was one, I mean, you know, I can tell you a lot of stories of uh, what all we did in India. But all this was because, because I had done a role in the Indian market before, right, in my black belt role. And I had done roles in technology and I had run roles in data. So it was kind of everything that comes together when you're a CIO to, do, to solve some of these problems. So that was that was probably it, Jagdish.
0: This is this is an amazing one, uh, Asha. You know, you know they say that you know go to market and you know collect data, use customer databases for identifying like you know the prospects, and here you use data from NASA to uh, find out opportunities in the market. I I mean I haven't I haven't come across a more esoteric uh, case esoteric. of like you know. Of of using data and you know using it from a source like which is so hard to think of, but that's that's really awesome. I remember you know in my own uh, old customer service days when I used to go around you know so I was in a granite cluster uh, as a service engineer and I happened to meet Ingersoll Rand guy who had a database of all the granite mines in that area. I actually copied that time. We didn't have smartphones or computers. So I actually took his list and copied all of those names on my notebook. I went and gave it to my sales guys. Sometime later we both came and we actually, you know, started knocking out those uh, customers as we kept meeting them. And I think 15 days we met everybody and we, and when we were back, we had orders worth one crore in our hand. And this was like late nineties. One crore was quite a lot at that time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just like, I think the importance of data doesn't go away from, uh, you know, from your market success. Hey, I am your podcast host, Jagdish Belwal. I had a rich career as CIO at Tata Motors and GE. Now, as an advisor, I help organizations transform with technology. Technology is necessary for digital transformation, but not sufficient. So I help organizations with the rest of it leadership strategy culture change management etc you can connect with me on linkedin and twitter for now keep listening and don't forget to subscribe the podcast and do connect with me on linkedin okay so tell us a little bit more asha you know i mean as your progression into the role you know this the g was like facing that disruption uh, around that time and uh, yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us something like you know how you managed it, and you 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 happen to come in the front and center of without really having a choice.
1: uh yeah. So so this was around the time you know we were all G was going through some strategy changes, and uh, you know there was uh, G had uh, moved a lot of the digital technology folks, which are primarily the IT folks, into Deep Digital, and then there was a decision to look at digital more as an external facing business rather than combining internal folks and external folks. So uh, at the time we had a baby, we, we still do have a huge uh, facility in uh, Bangalore, uh, which was called the DG digital hub. And we did have some leadership challenges there. And, you know, this was probably one role where I told you all the other roles. I was running behind people and, you know, <laughs> trying to find uh, those opportunities. This was one I was asked to do uh, for the organization. Uh, you know, and initially I was thinking this doesn't have business, this is more like running a large organization, uh, you know, um, as a chief operating officer, something like that you could think about, uh, you know, it had close to 2000 employees and all of that. And I was the G digital hub leader. Uh, yeah, but the thing that I learned is it gave me the opportunity to be part of a board, um, you know, and it really helped me understand how do you transition, how, how do effective transition happen? You have to keep the employee in the center of the whole spectrum when companies are transforming. And that experience really helped me be very successful with people and the whole employee uh, growth and you know, be a much better people leader. Even though in that role, I had very few people reporting to me to really transition everybody back to the businesses, uh, make sure we are doing the right thing for everybody, You know, getting a lot of external experience uh, as well as being a board member. I think it had a lot of learnings and advantages uh, in a role where initially I thought that probably I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to do this one because I didn't think I was the most suited person. But yeah, it did, it did, it did work out fairly well.
0: Yeah. So uh, I have a follow-up question on you on for you on that. So just for the uh, you know just to clarify to the audience, you know there was this whole integration of all the IT functions of all the businesses into GE Digital, and you know at g digital as a market-facing entity a big one there was a lot of hiring there i was uh, i got hired and so were like you know some of our friends who got hired hired for those senior roles and i think in uh after some time as you know there was a leadership change in g you know there was a decision taken by the new chairman to actually move back you know digital to all these functions so it was like you know Delhi to Daltabad, Daltabad to Delhi kind of things and i think <laughs> Asha happened to be in charge when the second leg of it happened <laughs> and yeah I was I was I was also there and I think we were running a you know a sort of governance out there a council you know to basically make this easier and smoother and everything so tell me Asha uh, uh, recall like one of the one one of the hardest uh, you know problems to solve during that time tell us that's um,
1: see the thing it was it was the hardest for me you know to move myself from a business outcome technology leader to now be in a role where you don't have a problem to solve, you know, a defined problem to solve. You just have to figure out this transition, which is probably very little of what you do or what you control, but really influence so many people that, you know, if things are happening right for the employees. So it took me a while, you know, to move out from that business outcome and, you know, uh, technical uh, acumen and innovation and all, to to really get into legal and all my time used to be negotiations and, you know, board discussions and legal entities and stuff, which probably I didn't think I would ever learn. But I did. Uh, But I eventually, you know, I figured out that my goal here is to make sure the best thing happens for all the employees. So I think that helped me. But it was hard for me for the first three, four months, I was a little lost. And i thought probably this is it this is my end of the g career i should probably go somewhere else and do something else and all that but yeah and i got huge energy from the people around me because i could see they're all looking at me to tell them the answers the fact is i also didn't know the answers but you know we i i figured out that we all have to collectively find answers any transition can be very painful uh, you know, you you must have been through it. You were there in the first part of it, uh, Chandish. It's not easy. There's always the global, the local, the legal, the international. I mean, there's so many different factors that need to come together.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think you know, using influence and handling that complexity, you know, just it was actually throwing everybody off the mark in terms of like, you know, making a difference to the business. And yeah, we, we, we went through it together. So, Asha, let me move on to the next one. I think uh, about your current role where, you know, you are, the VP and global CIO for data analytics for GE Healthcare. So uh, tell us like, you know, how are you helping uh, the business uh, use data at all levels? Uh, take us through some of your uh, strategy and planning uh, thought process. Uh, there are a lot of, I think everyone here understands the role of data and analytics and it will be good to hear from you as to how do you really like, you know, go about it.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, You know, um, so I, I, after this digital hub, after all the work was done, I said, Hey, now can I go do something else? And I moved to, AG healthcare, uh, you know, uh, got hired as the CIO for data analytics. And, um, you know, I, I, figured out that, you know, we need to have a strategy first. Um, and the, with the way the use cases were coming on us with somebody asked, right? Like big data use cases and all of that. I quickly figured out that having a a, a really cloud native kind of a data platform strategy was very important Uh, if we had to scale and also have the speed at the speed at which the customers are expecting outcomes from us, right? So the first, I think the first year was really figuring out the strategy, building a team, um, you know, really thinking about things in terms of APIs, uh, again now this role is again a little bit more technology oriented so rather than thinking about everything custom built right how do you really think in terms of a data as a service model analytics as a service model how do you do mlops at scale you know for a almost 20 billion kind of a company the data that you're managing and i'm responsible for all of the enterprise data as well as all the equipment data that comes from our uh you know installs we have more than a you know seven a billion installs Across uh, the world, right? So, all of the data that's coming from them, which we use to really enhance the ex- customer experience and also it, it times a lot of our services revenue. Um, so, great technology, right? We use uh, AWS uh, and the native one of the first people to use native data platforms. I think it has given us a huge shot in the arm. Uh, right now, our focus is based mostly on democratizing. How do you democratize AI uh, across our customer base as well as our internal? organizations, uh, you know, and do pretty much everything as a service where the business can do more and more things on themselves. And we are truly enablers. And our job is focusing on how do we efficiently manage this ever growing data? How do you really provide, uh, you know, uh, cataloging so that they can do a lot more self service? And then how do you really do a lot of things around security which somebody just asked before, right? I mean, we have to follow all the data privacy, regionalization data laws in every country that we operate in and things like that. So it's a it's a very broad role all right uh, and i partner with my peers who are cios for their specific areas for outcomes that they are specifically responsible for so i i do three things one is i manage the whole platform strategy around data uh, secondly I'm, I'm responsible for how do you really use data as an asset you know really curating and all of that and then I have a team. I have multiple teams that partner with other teams to build solutions using all these platforms and data that we have. Very exciting, very exciting role. And I think I'm glad to being more of a technologist. I think where I started 21 years ago, probably at a different scale.
0: And and you know like uh, whatever you have been doing so far in terms of like you know leveraging data to solve business problems, you know now being in the position where you can like you know multiply yourself multiple times by like you know this data democratization you know strategy and all. Now uh, just one. Uh, uh, Follow-up uh, uh, question on that, Asha. See, we th- there's a lot of innovation happening in the startup space, right? So, how do you how do you ensure that you know you're connected to that and you're not missing out on any- anything there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say all of these, the, the you know how to use technology to really solve grassroots <laughs> problems. Especially in a country like India. It's all is all happening in the startups. Um see I am high I'm very connected with the startup ecosystem at NASCOM. You know, so they have something called as an emerge fifty award they give every year. Uh, you know, there is the National Product Council that is happening actually from December first to fourth. Everybody should, I think if you're interested in what's the what's the kind of engineering and product stuff happening in India, I would, I would recommend you to join that, you know, I'm one of the people who are trying to help organize it for the health tech sector. So I'm very connected with the ecosystem, as well as the startups externally, GE Healthcare also has a program, it's called the Edison program, it's primarily led out of the uh, healthcare digital team, uh, you know, where they interact with uh, startups, uh, and bring on 3 6 to 7 startups uh, every year or in every uh, twice a year i think uh, to really provide them with all the infrastructure and you know help them to grow which is specifically in the healthcare sector i have you know been very benefited just by being and listening to them because there are ideas that you can bring in and you can scale probably not the way the startup is doing but in a way that integrates with every every other you know thing that you do i mean i i will shamelessly admit that we get most of our innovative ideas in these forums and in these discussions and we try to help them by saying hey what are the things they need to watch out for if they have to grow and scale you know certain some kind of mentoring so it's been you know it also keeps your I, I think your thought process very fresh always tuned into the latest happenings in the industry uh, and I just love it
0: oh no and uh, I mean we can see we can see the we can see the conviction and the commitment and everything that you bring to the table, Asha. And no doubt that you were recognized as one of the 50, top 50 AI uh, leaders in India. I saw that today morning and awesome. Congratulations yes. for that.
1: Thank you, thank you, Jagdish. I owe it to my world-class team. I think I'm just the one standing in the front. So I really owe it to my world-class team.
0: Okay, so uh, I have I have something coming up in my uh, rapid file, which we'll start in a couple of minutes. So Asha um, now you know I have lots of questions here given that you know we are like 7 minutes away from closure I want you to treat each of them as audience rapid fire So now the first rapid fire for you uh, Asha coming from Imran how do you address data literacy is this also being addressed in your business
1: Yeah, so I mean, I don't know how I'll answer this in rapid fire. But the answer is yes, it is absolutely necessary for democratizing data. Because unless you have a data literate business, there's no way they can do self service. And there is no way you can really democratize data, forget about democratizing things like AI. So it is is not easy. You know, it's one of those efforts like data quality, which is a hard work, but and it takes a while. But without that foundational stuff, nobody can go fast on democratization of data.
0: OK, no, that's great. That's great. So what's one thing you do to drive data literacy? Just one thing, one of the many.
1: Uh, yeah, so I think a little bit of what we do is technical. We have something called as a catalog and then we we do cohorts over the catalog, like, a, you know, sessions where we pa- partner with the business and run some hackathons and stuff for them to use this uh, catalog and that way it gets built and then they teach their peers so that's how you know it's it's kind of how you know we go about educating especially when we okay. try to teach adults right it's the same model that
0: okay okay now that's 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 great asha so asha you can answer this question uh, digital is the expectation and budget is the reality how do you balance such trade-offs to executive strategy
1: see i mean i think i think probably know the answer <laughs> to this i think it is all depending on uh, you know one what is the what is the skid in the game that business has on <laughs> digital? If they do and if they have the they see the money on the table, I'm sure they will uh, invest. and that is true for anything, not just digital, right? I mean any program unless you can show the money and the roi and uh, you know you can also have uh, excitement around it, you know, which is a new thing that I have seen. If you can get them excited the the CFOs uh, and the CEOs excited about digital, I think then you you could always find the money. I have seen this to be a reducing challenge as to what I have seen in the past. I have not been in many budget discussions where we are literally struggling because we can't do something. I think most of the problem is what are the right digital stuff to do? There's so many things that you can do in digital, right? So what are the right things that you can do in prioritization? Uh, and continuously showing the ROI. That's probably what I would say.
0: So uh, Asha, I recently uh, moderated a panel of CFOs on digital transformation, and I must say that you know they are as anxious as being seen as enablers of digital transformation than earlier when it was just IT. Yeah. So the winds are on in the right direction for all of us. Sarita, so Sarita has a great question for you. Thinking back in your career and married roles, is there any specific thing you believe you could have done differently, which would have helped you now, and something from which we could learn?
1: Oh, that's a, that's an interesting uh, 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 question, Sarita. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, one thing maybe, this is not so much about my career, right? I, I think one of the challenges I've had personally is I'm not the most disciplined. Kind of a person, and sometimes it works as a tailwind because you are extremely creative and you can easily flex and you have a lot of appetite for change. But when you have to do long haul, um, you know, kind of projects, I think after a while, uh, you know, it, it, it can become a delimiter. So maybe you know I would have tried to learn to be more disciplined <laughs> when I was a child, uh, and I think that's a, I don't think I it, it's a struggle I have both in my personal life as well as my professional life. Um, you know I was never a believer in discipline, but I think the more I think I've like you know uh, been in senior and senior roles, uh, you your decision impacts so many people, right? Like whether you turn up for a meeting or you don't turn up for a meeting, it's just not about you; it's about a lot of people, right? So then when you are not a highly disciplined person, I think it can become a struggle. So I know it's I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but if you ask me one thing I struggle with uh, and which probably I would wish I could do better <laughs> would be about being more disciplined. I, I, I don't really think I, you know, uh, see ca- you know, we can only look at our careers looking at the back end mirror, you know, we cannot never plan fully our career. I don't think I would want to have done anything very differently, you know. But yeah, if I were more disciplined, probably I would be more. Okay,
0: so uh, Sarita, if you had asked me that question, I would have repeated every line of uh, Asha's answer. So that that makes it two of us, Asha.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know, Jagdish.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Nitin's question is like, you know, what's the right scale to have data as a service in an enterprise?
1: Um, so the way I have done it, I can help you. Uh, Maybe that'll help you. See, you have to start with three or four data as a service. And then have wherever you need that service to use it. So for example, I started out with data as a service in the customer experience space. You know, you need customer experience services in commercial. You need it in, you know, where you're doing servicing. You need it in like when you're trying to do everything digital, right? Uh, and then I've tried to span it. So I have not tried to, like, I've tried to do few data as a services and then scale them across the enterprise, instead of doing many for little, little population. So I've seen success with that. Today we have, you know, almost uh, 200,000 APIs that run on a monthly basis on data as a service on our platform, uh, which kind of serves all of Healthcare. So it is definitely worked for us. But again, it depends on your context and, you know, the technology that you're using. We were fortunate to start with the native tech stack that I spoke about, right? So it became very easy to architect it uh, and organize it. But yeah, it would need to see value first vertically before you do a lot more things horizontally. That's
0: what I would say. No, I think I think I think that's absolutely right. You you, you first need to do it uh, uh, one or two times, develop that conviction, learn it, and then scale it out. Asha, now we move on to our rapid fire round, guys. Uh, <laughs> I can still see some questions coming in. I think in the interest of time, you know, I'll request Asha to answer them, like you know, on LinkedIn rather than here. So let's okay. move towards the closing uh, five minutes of our uh, discussion. So Asha, here are uh, uh, your rapid fire questions. So what made you stay so long in GE?
1: It just works for me. Uh, You know, I mean, I have uh, had the best of times and the most challenging times. And I think if there's one thing I can say, you know, it has really influenced not just me, but who I have been working in G has also influenced my children. And I see them so much being benefited from the exposure they've got. Uh, So that's, that's the one thing. And I've, you know, I've done phenomenal stuff. It's been like working in many companies, right, looking at the roles that I've done and the opportunity I had across aviation power, now in healthcare. So I think, I think that's what made me stay. And uh, the last thing I would say is, you know, when I, when I needed the company, the company wasn't there for me. And when the company needed me. I could do be there as well with what I had to do. So it worked both ways.
0: So 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 combining these two things together, a great culture, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. And fitment. Okay. So what's important? And I
0: think. To- you know, and I think. Uh, I mean, I worked for three years in GE, and uh, you know, that's one of the most one of the biggest learnings I had in terms of how to you know build a great culture. And it's not just like you know, it's not just culture for culture's sake, but it's like a lot of rituals and a lot of I would say you know things that you must do like for example, people review, right? I mean, that's such an element. I haven't seen that, uh, you know, happen with that kind of rigor elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. So Asha, uh, the next one, you know, what should be the pillars of an innovation? Agenda?
1: Uh, pillars of an innovation agenda. I think basically either you should be making cus- money for your customers or you should be making money for your company, um, you know, any innovation uh, that is not really creating a benefit, I mean, unless it's something, you know, you're trying to do an NGO or something, uh, unless it's making a revenue for your customer or for your company, I think that innovation will not really scale and sustain, you know, it'll be just one, uh, you know, it's it'll be like a good thing that you did for a while and that's it. But I think, uh, you know, to have long term innovation, it needs to have, it needs to create a financial impact. Uh, or the outcome the focus the thing that the company is trying to achieve like what healthcare is really trying to bring okay. forward is precision health right so if we can do precision health with the innovation yeah absolutely it's going to be successful
0: okay great so uh in it we depend a lot on partners and you know their effectiveness aff- affects us so two things you do to maximize the effectiveness of your partner uh,
1: i think constant communication at all levels right because it's not just talking to the leadership but actual. Folks who do work on your programs and teams, right? So, how do you have rituals uh, with every level in the uh, vendor partner you're working with? Uh, And I think the second thing is a culture. You know, how do how what what is the message? What how do people operate together at all levels? Again, so if you can have the right culture where everybody is not thinking, okay, I'm from GE, I'm from vendor, but really looking at delivering the outcome. How do you create that culture? Those are the two
0: uh third question another uh, sorry fourth question another right answers insourcing or outsourcing why tell us three things three considerations
1: yeah i mean i think i think uh, uh see the thing is for insourcing if you really want to go fast with some new kind of challenge and which has a lot of strategy and risk to it right like we were trying to build a data platform in a year completely native cloud based you need to have the right leadership and the right technical folks probably who are insourced uh, you know because they can make decisions you know they, they don't need to ask somebody else to make decisions uh, and you can move at a much pacer speed but you know I, I think where outsourcing really helps is specialty skills and when you need volumes that probably you don't you need that flexibility with volume of capacity and labor and all of that um, so when when there are skills you may you may not have you know some of your vendor partners Um, you know, and there are different different type of vendor partners may have, Uh, and that they're in the business of that, right. So you probably probably they can do better than you. do. So it is really finding what you do best, what they do best, and then finding that match, uh, and keep bringing that to a table where it's a win win for them as well as you. Uh, That's how I look at it. It's not based on numbers or percentages, or it's really about what is that you're trying to accomplish and what's the best win-win partnership in doing that what do they do best what do you do best and how do you match it and what can you what can you not really where you where do you really need a lot of decisions to be made because i don't think vendor partners can make decisions for you they can only do things for absolutely you.
0: absolutely no no i think i think i think that's a great uh, advice asha when you want to like really penetrate go deep down into something you know try insourcing when you really want to scale up scale out try outsourcing okay yeah. so uh, my final uh, rapid fire three advices you will give uh, to budding women professionals what can they learn from asha
1: <laughs> See I think I will tell you that don't take your for- career uh, uh you know I I would I would tell you that every point of time prioritize what is important to you you know Um, and try to focus on that and that's what I do you know when I'm at work I fully focused on work when I'm at uh, you know when I like had my kids I was fully focused on them for a life because there's only so many things you can focus on as well as do them well you know you can't focus on too many things maybe you will do well one or you may suck it up so that's what I I would say right I I think the the second advice I would give is develop competence um, and also get a lot more exposure Uh, You know, if one thing that has helped me with my career is taking some risk, but also moving around, you know, different domains, different roles. I don't think if I did the role that I first got hired into even now, I would have been doing what I'm doing today. Um, So uh, while it looks uncomfortable, right, it would be good to try out a few things and move around. Uh, You know, at first, you will not be bored, you know, it'll keep you excited. It'll keep you learning and also it will help you to grow. And I think the third thing is, you know, I know this may sound a little counterintuitive, but you know, one or two career failures or roles not working out is not the end of anything. You know, you can always find another one. There is so much demand. And I will tell to all the women, especially technologies, this is your time. You know there is so much demand in the industry. You should feel proud. Uh, you should try to seek out. Are you are you in the right position? And are you getting the right uh, you know recognition for your effort and what you can do? So I think you should really evaluate yourself. This is really the time of women technologists. I would say, Chuck.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you know there is there is something that I picked up. You know uh, you actually said it uh, a couple of times during the chat, Asha. And this is so so much important for not just uh, the, the the ladies hearing you out there, but for others also. You said that, you know, when you were seeking out that Six Sigma role, you said you went around knocking doors. I want this role. I want this role. And then somebody listened to you, right? And then when you wanted the CIO role, you said, I want a CIO role. I want a CIO role. You, you went around the doors and then finally got the CIO role. So don't be afraid of, you know, expressing what you want. Be clear about what you want and don't give up. I mean, a, a, a few no's here and there shouldn't discourage you you just need that one door to open whether it is after five knocks or after 15 knocks
1: yeah yeah okay i mean see the so, thing is if you ask you may get or you may not get but if you don't ask you will never get so it's very simple mathematical absolutely, logic absolutely. that you have to ask for things
0: absolutely absolutely so asha we are now down to the last minute yeah your revenge question to me i've been asking you all <laughs> okay that. i
1: have so many let see me think what i want to, be to be ask you my question to you is if there was one decision you know you would have done differently in life what would it be
0: when I think back, uh, you know, I used to actually justify this earlier quite a lot. And yes, there are justifications to it. But uh, if I were to say now, I think uh, I, there's one decision which I would have taken differently is leaving Tata I was just enamored by G's name and, uh, you know, and this whole global platform that I could get and all that. And uh, I actually left, you know, at a time, which was very, very good. We had, you know, a new CEO, you know, you had just done a big, uh, you know, workshop for all the leaders of Tata Motors and we were like just set up to take off, which is when I bailed out. So, you know, I mean, (laughs) that was not the right time to bail out, I would say. And, you know as I as I look around, I you know I see that transformation that I kick started there, it's really really happening there. I really feel I I miss I miss that out. So yeah, that's an honest admission, uh Asha. But but great question, Asha. So as thank I thank you I, for
1: I, being transparent, Jagdish. And Actually, it makes me feel good about staying here for 21 years because I get that question often. You are here, I mean I almost sound ancient, right? <laughs> so maybe yeah, there are good things with staying long in a place.
0: Uh, Asha, Asha, I fell for it, so good you don't fall for it. And to all the people <laughs> Out there, you know, who have been in an organization for a long, long time. I mean, you know, I, th- I think, I think, look at the outcomes that you're driving, look at the problems you're solving, look at the satisfaction that you're getting from making a difference, and don't just uh, get anxious about you know some something something better being out there. Thanks, Asha, so sh- uh, so much. I think there was not you know moment of uh, I would say boredom or remotely uh, to that. I think it was really, really good answers, very precise ones, and thanks for taking everyone through your journey. Thank you all the audience for being here and asking your questions there's some towards the end which we were not able to take uh, take up i try to take up all the questions and that kind of messes up with my time management i just i still need to work on it but thank you all uh, uh, you know you you keep driving the show wow what a spellbinding and spirited discussion with asha i hope you loved it as much as i did especially all of our women colleagues and friends out there Please do subscribe to Clarity Chat Podcast. It's available on all major podcasting platforms. Our next episode is a celebration of completing 25 weeks of Clarity Chat. Divya Shlokam, the LinkedIn diva, will be grilling me and Vijay Sethi, our first guest on how Clarity Chat has evolved. You will hear Vijay's feedback on Clarity Chat as an outsider insights. So, Watch out for our next special Clarity Chat podcast, celebrating 25 weeks of Clarity Chat.